As you're seated, let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. You need a Bible, whether it is on or open. We're going to do a fair amount of reading this evening from the New Testament book of Hebrews. And so I'll give you plenty of time to turn back there. I'd encourage you as you're turning, picture God's Word as a, a big library. And you walk past that giant section of Old Testament books and we walk together near the end of the stacks and we find Hebrews. And we need to take that volume down and give it our attention this evening. I hope that you've had a good day. Thank you for being here. I want you to know you are an encouragement to me by being here. Thank you for singing out. Thank you for your interest in growing in your relationship with God and helping others to do the same. Why is the world in the state that it is? There are lots of ways that we could answer that question. If you ask Roger that question, there's no doubt in my mind he could write you 24 different sermons as to why the world is in the state that it is. Why are human relationships in the state that they are? You know, there are a variety of different things that maybe bubble into our minds as to why at times we struggle to get along as human beings, as households, as church families, as communities, as nations, and as nations internationally trying to get along with one another. That's a, a complex question to try and answer in, in just a little bit of time. Why things are the way that they are. Why we get frustrated. Why there is so much brokenness and and darkness, and fear, and anxiety in the world. I want to point you to one verse in Hebrews chapter 2 that I, I think does a masterful job of answering that question, but we're not going to dwell this evening on the bad news. We're going to look at the really good news that is all over this New Testament book that Many of us have been reading in our, our scheduled Bible readings. If you haven't been participating in that right along with us, could I really encourage you to use this week as a fresh start. We're going to be rounding off the book of Hebrews, and Lord willing, we're on the doorstep of some really practical books of the Bible. We're going to be getting into James in the month of May and First and Second Peter and I don't know of anything that would help your heart, your, your perspective, your relationship with God more than feeding yourself consistently with with what He has preserved for our learning. We're about to start the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And if you've never read Deuteronomy, or it's been a, a good long while, there are such deep, rich lessons to be learned. And so, 
I want to lean on what many of us have been reading. And if you haven't been, then we're glad that you're here. You're in the right place. We're going to be throughout the book of Hebrews this evening. I'd suggest to you Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 gives us, latter part of that verse in just a few words, one powerful reason why the world is the way that it is. At present, that writer tells us, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Why is the world in the state that it is? Well, it's because human beings are not subjecting themselves to their Creator. Why are human relationships at times in the state that they are? Why are marriages sometimes in the state that they are? Why, why do we ourselves at times do the very things we know we ought not to do? Sometimes the, the things that we hate, we, we keep on doing. What's the, the root problem from which we reap so many bitter fruits? Here's one reason. We do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Now, we could spend the rest of our evening together looking at all of the different ways that presents such bad news to us, but I'd love this evening for all of us to realize, well, this is the cause of so much of the heartache and the heartbreak in the world around us, and then follow it up with the next verse. Because here's the good news, and here is what I am zealously hoping this evening will help you on the doorstep of this new week. As an individual, maybe dreading going to work tomorrow, Maybe facing some really big obstacles this week. Maybe beginning to think about what it's going to look like when you leave home and, and go away for college in just a few short months later this summer. Maybe as a, a newlywed couple. Maybe as someone who is in the, the furnace of a really busy and demanding career and, and you're just trying to, to hold on to what matters most in the midst of all sorts of things and obligations and people that are pulling you at times, it seems like, in a, a million different directions. For those of us who are tired and we're, we're looking for refreshment, for those who aren't sure what the future holds. We live in a difficult world where we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him. And what I would love to do this evening is just treat the book of Hebrews as our tour guide. And just lean on it from chapter 1 to chapter 13 and let its author help us 
to see him this evening. Our tour starts in Hebrews chapter 1 in one of the most amazing paragraphs I would suggest to you in all of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 are worth really long, thoughtful reflections. You just listen to the way that God's Son is described beginning in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 where the writer begins long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And He's the one we really want to see this evening. You listen to the way He's described. God's Son, whom He, the Father, appointed the heir of all things. All things belong to God's Son. All things find their end in God's Son. We all have an appointment with God's Son. All roads lead one way or another to God's Son. He is the heir of all things. Through whom the Father created the world. That includes you. That includes me. That includes everything that we've been able to enjoy on this beautiful spring day Today, all things were created through God's Son. He is the heir of all things. He is, in verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God. If God's glory were the sun up in our heavens, the radiance of that sun is what the Hebrews writer is describing God's Son, God's only begotten Son as. God is eternally glorious and the Son is the radiance. What can be felt? What can be seen? What can be experienced of that glory? He is the exact imprint of God's Nature. If God's nature were pressed into human flesh, that's Jesus the Christ, our King. You want to know how God thinks? You want to know how God acts? You want to know how God reacts? You, know, you want to know how God feels? What God is like? The writer is saying, look to Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, the One who upholds the universe by the Word of His power. From the metal of this stand to the structure of this building to the planet on which we sit to every aspect of the universe. 
He upholds it all by the word of his power. Latter part of verse 3. He is the one who has made purification for sins. If we don't have that line in this whole equation, you and I are very much in trouble because we're dealing with the God who is the heir of all things. The one for whom all things exist. An eternally glorious being who has walked among us and we've spurned him. We, we, we've said in our own ways, I think I know better than you. I, I don't want to listen to you right now. I think it would be better for me if I did my own thing. Can you imagine in that state standing before a being of this quality, this nature, and him not willing, not able perhaps, to purify what we have done. But this is our God. Listen to what we are being told. At the present time, we do not yet see all things in subjection to him. We do not see the world in subjection to Him. We do not see all who bear His image in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And that's what makes all the difference. You keep reading there in Hebrews chapter 1, He is pictured as sitting at the right hand of the majesty. The majesty on high. In fact, if we pay attention, five different times in this little book of Hebrews, we are told exactly where he is. Five times we're told he is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we do not yet see everyone in positions of authority in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And we see where He is. And maybe as we read those verses, especially that, that last phrase, our minds are moved to ask, well, He's sitting. Does that mean that He's idle? Has he dozed off? Is he bored? Is he preoccupied? No, not at all. You might have to turn the page, but I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and notice, think with me this evening about the way that he is described in Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's you and me, share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now let's be honest this evening. Even as this letter is inviting us to be honest. At the present time, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. We do not yet see death in subjection to Him. The last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death. But do you know what we do see? 
we do see him. What difference does that make? He is the destroyer of the one who has the power of death. He is the destroyer of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. Do you see that in your Bible? He is the destroyer. He is the one, verse 15, who is able to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Listen to what we're being told. We do not yet see everything that makes us afraid in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. What difference does that make? Well, He's the deliverer. The deliverer of all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Look down at verses 17 and 18. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation. We talked, learned about that word today. That satisfying sacrifice in the eyes of God. For the sins of the people. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able. Think with me this evening about what we're being told. We do not yet see every struggle in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every struggle that we ourselves within our own bodies struggle with. Not everything is in subjection to Him yet. But we do see Him. He is the destroyer of the one who has the power of death. He's the deliverer of all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We see Him as a merciful and faithful high priest. Someone who is willing to go before our Creator on our behalf. You might have to turn the page. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, the writer says, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. See Him. Look to Him. The Apostle. The one who has been commissioned. The one who has been sent. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Who was faithful to him who appointed him. What's an apostle? It's someone who is appointed by someone in authority. Someone who is sent with the authority of that appointment. Let's think about the world in which we live this evening. We do not yet see every lie in subjection to Him. We live in a world full of lies. 
We do not yet see every false teaching in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every deceptive scheme in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. The one who has been sent by the Father who loves us enough to give the best of heaven for us. Again, you might have to turn the page. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. What difference does it make if we really see Him? Let's hold fast our confession. Not because somehow we're able to do that on our own. No, it's because we see Him. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what difference does it make in a difficult world if we see Him clearly? Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Because of Him, He's the high priest. He's the apostle of our confession. He's the one who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, willing to give us the mercy and grace that we need in difficult times. Look at chapter 5, verses 7, 8, and 9. Looking back at Jesus' life, Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of His flesh, this Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who is able to save Him from death. I want you to think about what we've just been told. I want you to picture Jesus so overwhelmed by what He is experiencing that the only way to describe What's going on in his heart and coming out of his body is loud cries and tears. That's the world we live in. That's, that's the brokenness that sometimes we feel more personally than we could ever even imagine feeling this is life under the sun having chosen as a human race not to be in subjection to our creator but how precious this evening to come face to face and spend a little bit of time thinking about the fact that God knows what that feels like. He's not way out there. This purely just an intellectual exercise. Let's see what they do. He enters into life. He has a body. He experiences those weaknesses. He knows what it is to be so weighed down that he loudly cries with 
tears in his eyes. He, he cries, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now don't miss what we're being told there. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, with tears in his eyes. And he was heard, but he still went through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, what, what, what good is it if I'm crying out to God with loud cries and tears in my eyes, and I, I, I've still got to go through, why would I still have to go through that? Well, that's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. We do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every weakness. We do not yet see every self-centered rebel and the fruit of their rebellion in subjection to God. But we do see Him. And you look with me at verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. What difference does it make whether or not we see him? Well, he became the source of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. We don't yet see all of the scary All of the heartbreaking things that can happen to our bodies in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And He is the author of eternal salvation to anyone who will obey Him. In fact, look in chapter 6 and verse 18 at the way that He is described. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. You see, right now, we're still here on this earth. And some days are really good, and some days are really, really, really hard. And we don't yet see all of the things that break our hearts in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. He's gone as a forerunner. Someone, the, the king is on the march with his army. And the forerunner goes on ahead to let everybody in the city know, the king is coming. Listen to a message from the king. Where is Jesus? He's at the Father's right hand. He's gone as a forerunner on my behalf. A forerunner on your behalf if you're in Christ. So that when you appear before the throne, it is not a surprise. Nobody looks around and says, well, where in the world did you come from and why are you here? 
I am His. And He is mine. And right now, we don't yet see every shadow and every valley and every every heartbreaking night of the soul in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And we know where He is. Chapter 7, you look with me at verse 22. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently. He continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Listen to that language. We do not yet see Every marriage in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every relationship in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every accord or alliance in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. What's He doing? He lives to make intercession for them. He is the guarantor. The one who is willing and able to say, listen, I've got this. These are the terms. This is what I'm willing to lay down. Whatever happens next, I've got this. This is not going to default This is not going to be spiritually bankrupt as an entire system. I'm the guarantor. It's not based on his performance or or, or her record. It's not based on their collective achievements. I'm the guarantor of a better way of having a relationship with God. And so in chapter 8 and verse 1, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister. He's a servant on our behalf in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not Man, look at chapter 9 and verse 11. When he appeared, verse 11 of chapter 9, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. If the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? You see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. We don't see every cruel dictator in subjection to Him yet. But we do see Him. The one who through the eternal spirit 
offered himself without blemish to God. And he's able, he's willing to purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Stay in that chapter and look at verse 26. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. As it is, latter part of the verse, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Where is he? Chapter 9, verse 24. Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I want you to listen carefully to what we are being told this evening. We do not yet see every abuser of the poor in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every exploiter of the weak in subjection to Him. We do not yet see every shedder of innocent blood in subjection to Him. But we do see Him and He is coming again. Hebrews chapter 9 Verses 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been once offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save. To save those who eagerly wait for Him. We are waiting, and He is waiting. Look at chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting. Where is he? He's at the Father's right hand. He lives to make intercession for those who are looking to him. And he is waiting from that time that he sat down until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time. We don't have to worry anymore about where to look for the purification of our sins. That offering has been made. That offering is being enjoyed by those who are being sanctified. And he is waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. We do not yet see cancer in subjection to him. We do not yet see heart disease in subjection to Him. We do not yet see COVID. We do not yet see death. But we know because we see Him that the last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death. He is not only the founder of our faith. Lots of men and women claim to be founders of profound ways of enlightenment or achieving various things. He, he's not just the founder. He's the 
perfecter. He's the one who's going to bring all of this to completion. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. That is encouraging us. We don't yet see so many difficult things in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And so what are we told over and over and over again in Hebrews? Look to Him. Don't take your eyes off of Him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. But this is such an old book, and He lived such a a long time ago. Listen, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. He is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. And we don't see just as these people didn't see so long ago. So many things that make life so difficult in subjection to Him. But we do see Him. And so in a world at war, we continue to worship. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. You see that last chapter? Last few verses of this book. Hebrews 13 verse 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. We do not yet see every wolf, every thief in subjection to Him. But we do see Him, the great shepherd of the sheep. Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again From the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. We see him. How? (laughs) The book's resounding answer that Lord willing will read this very week is in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith. Take the time this week. I mean, I, I beg you, take the time this week. To read Hebrews chapters 10 and and 11 and 12 and 13. Not to fulfill some sort of a plan, check off boxes, but that you can see Him with the eyes of faith. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things for a little while We don't see. We do not yet see so many things that make 
life tough. Really, really tough at times. But we do see him. And John in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 said, this is love. See, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. The reason we seem so strange to so many in the world is because they don't know Him. And we, we see Him. And that changes everything. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we... We know... That when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is, that day is coming. What an opportunity. That everyone who thus hopes in Him would purify himself as He is pure. He's done everything that is necessary. He lives to make intercession for anyone who is willing to come to their Creator on, on His terms. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to stand and, and sing this song of encouragement. So that if in any way you need to respond to Him, you need help seeing Him, you're, you're ready to give your life to Him. Nothing pie in the sky in here. We, we live in a tough world, but our hope is Him. And if you need to come to Him this evening and we can help, would you let us know how we can help by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?